Welcome to Winning Slowly, taking the long view on technology, religion, ethics, and art. I'm Stephen Caradini. And I'm Chris Kreitcho. And today we're going to talk about expectations. Everybody has expectations for a good variety of things. One of the ways that we know we have expectations is that when they are subverted, we are sad or grumpy or frustrated. This is often one of the only times that we do recognize our expectations for things. There are situations where we recognize our expectations in a positive light, but often when something changes, that's when we start to see our expectations and we start to feel them and decide whether they were good or bad expectations. So today we're going to talk about two different ways that people have challenged expectations of their expected content or expected delivery mechanisms and see how people have responded to those expectation shifts and how the creators of those expectation shifts adjusted or managed that shift. Numero uno. Hello, Taylor Swift. You just put out a new music video. And yes, th this would be the point in the show where I admit that I've been a, a huge fan of Taylor Swift for many years. Moving yeah. on. <laughs> Do not make so, fun of me, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> so I write a music review blog and I have for 11 years and Chris listens to a lot of music uh, probably just as much if not more than me in different ways and so we're both adamant music listeners consumers if you will and Chris just happens to be one of the biggest Taylor Swift fans I know of <laughs> so it's, much so that when true. I found out that Taylor Swift was dropping a new album Chris was the first person that I <laughs> that I talk to, and I have a large number of music-related friends. <laughs> so he was intimately concerned with whether this music was going to be good or not because Taylor Swift is one of his most famous favorite musicians. For me, I'm interested because Taylor Swift is kind of an anomaly in music. She's still on a small indie label called Big Machine Records, um, and I'm sure that Big Machine must have some sort of distribution deal with a larger record label to be able to get millions of Taylor Swift albums out into the world. Um, but in general, she's not on some giant record label. She's on a little dinky country uh, label, which isn't dinky anymore because they probably have lots and lots of money to go sign lots and lots of country artists now. But also, she's been developing as an artist for six, seven, eight years, and We've had a long time to see how she grows and matures as an artist, which is not something that we generally see because people that are super scrutinized are often not the creators of their own music, like Britney Spears right. or Christina Aguilera. So we've been able to see a person who at the beginning wrote and now co-writes um, much, if not all, uh, of her material and how that develops over time in the public spotlight and this is the newest way it happens so on her first album the hit single was tim mcgraw which is a country song in which she's talking to an ex-boyfriend this is a theme for taylor swift talking to ex-boyfriends she's talking to her ex-boyfriend about a tim mcgraw song in a style fairly reminiscent of the way tim mcgraw sings All right this is a country song about a country song the single she released with a music video earlier this week is about as far from country as you could get. Taylor Swift is not a country singer anymore. And to be fair, 
the writing has been on the wall for this for quite a while. Her last album had a a mix of the sort of pop country she had been shifting toward and straight pop. My wife got really happy because she likes the straight pop version of Taylor Swift much better. Many mm. of Taylor Swift's early fans are, well, their expectations. <laughs> right. They're country fans, and they liked her as a country artist. And as she's stopped being a country artist and started being more of a pop artist, well, their expectations have not exactly been met, and many of them are grumpy. Even for this first video, there are reviews on iTunes already of the album as a whole, which is funny because the album as a whole is not out yet. But there are reviews <laughs> of the album as a whole giving it one star, saying, she should have stuck with country. Yeah. Expectations have changed, and she's changed, and here yeah. we stand. And there are people who enjoyed her music before and after, Mm -hmm. uh, I personally thought that Mean was great, and I also <laughs> think that uh, We Are Never Ever Getting Back Together is one of the catchiest songs I've ever heard, <laughs> even though it makes fun of hipsters, which is kind of unfortunate for me. So Steven's I've, a hipster, everybody. Don't be uh, fooled. Yeah, well, if you, have to, if you have to admit you like Taylor Swift, I can admit that I'm a hipster. So. <laughs> I'm not sure which is worse. I don't know. But uh, so I liked Taylor Swift before and after. I think it's the new video is interesting and fun and clever, and there are, there are music critics who also think that you know this is fun and interesting and not that you know terrible of a move. So how does Taylor Swift deal with the expectation shift? Well, she addresses it head on by basically saying haters gonna hate through this <laughs> entire song. The song is essentially the opener, which says, hey, guys, I'm going somewhere else. You can hang out with me or you can hate me. I don't really care. I'm going to go do my thing. Which is just about the best way to preserve yourself against expectations by saying, <laughs> if you don't like this, then you're a hater. <laughs> you're and a I don't hater. care about you. Which is not necessarily true, but it's a good defense mechanism. <laughs> So that's one way you can deal with expectation shifts is announce them. You, your expectations are going to be affronted, and I do not care. <laughs> I am aware that you have expectations for me that I am not meeting. I do not care about your expectations. I win. <laughs> right. And one of the things I noted, and this kind of segues to the second transition thing we were going to look at, is... Well, this is essentially the same move that Twitter is making with its experiments that it has launched this week. Where but. <laughs> but but despite the fact that Taylor Swift is saying, eh, haters gonna hate, and Twitter's trying to say, eh, haters gonna hate, well, people seem with with a few exceptions, of course, some some fans who liked her better as country seem people seem pretty okay with what Taylor Swift is doing. She's been moving this way and she owns it with all of the awkwardness that it somewhat entails in her music video and so on. She she just <laughs> she runs with it. Yeah. Twitter's trying to make that move this week. Not so much working for Twitter's fan base. Yeah. So the thing that Twitter is doing is turning itself into Facebook. But, yep, that's a pretty good summary. This yeah. week they added the functionality into their back end. They'd been running the experiment on users for a bit, apparently, and then flipped the switch for everybody this week, where when you like something, when you click that little star that says, I want to make this a favorite tweet, well, it may now get surfaced in someone else's time stream. 
This is a pretty radical change to the way Twitter has worked over the years. If you're only not casually... radical in the great 80s sense of the way. <laughs> True. True. The way Twitter has normally worked is you see things that your the people you follow explicitly tweet, including things that they explicitly retweet. And there was a bit of a conflagration back in 2009 or so when Twitter turned retweeting into something you could do automatically rather than having to type RT at whomever and the substance of their post. But Although I kind of like it in yeah, retrospect. That, that wasn't really a functional change to the way the service worked. It was just integrating something people already did as something that Twitter itself could do. Now what Twitter's doing is saying, here's something that you do with, you have an expected side effect from it, which is that you know that you favorited this thing, and the person whom whose tweet you favorited knows that you favorited it, but that's really it. It's been not private, but essentially hidden. It wasn't a public action in the same way that retweeting someone was or that tweeting itself was, and it wasn't a public action the way that liking something on Facebook is. Historically, on Facebook, if you like something, it might show up in someone's newsfeed. That's not been the case for favoriting things on Twitter until right. now when it is. Which and is so weird because we all know that Twitter, if you've followed us at all, I've, I've talked about my favorite useless twi product, which is Twitter, um, <laughs> in episode one of this very podcast. Twitter is useless. Twitter doesn't have a use case. I don't mean useless in a bad way. I mean that it does not have a specified use case and you can make Twitter be what you want it to be. Right. This also means that, you know, Twitter has a tough time making money because it's hard to sell a vision of, oh yeah, people just make stuff up as <laughs> as a business plan. Uh, and so, you know, at some point we knew Twitter was going to start trying to make some money. But to my you know, to my eye, this doesn't look like something that will help them make money. This just looks like something that will make them look bad. Right. I think they're doing it because they're trying to find ways to get the many people who check out Twitter and never come back to engage more. Try to find a way to get more interesting things into people's timelines. Because there really is an issue when you're using Twitter of if you're not following interesting people you may not see a lot and there may not be a lot to keep you engaged. And that in turn means Twitter can't put ads in front of your eyes, which means Twitter can't make money from you. Right. And I and so it's, it's, a, it's an interesting problem for Twitter. But as someone I saw comment online said, well, what you're doing here is making your business problem a user problem now because you're forcing a change on user expectations because it's beneficial to you as a business but you're eliminating people's ability to use a tool the way they have used it in favor of a way that may be useful to you, but whether it's useful to them is perhaps debatable. Right. So that's all well and interesting, but what I'm especially interested in is the response that the creators of Twitter have had to this particular problem, mm -hmm. which is basically deal with it. <laughs> Haters gonna hate. No, not even, because like, cause like <laughs> uh, there's right. a difference between deal with it and haters going to hate, because there's haters going to hate is saying like, yeah, there's some people out there, they're not going to like this, but they are fundamentally flawed as human beings, <laughs> they're in a separate category from me, they no longer can be treated with the same level of dignity because they are haters. Deal with it, on the other hand, is like, yeah, you're reasonable, and this is a kind of unreasonable thing, whatever. <laughs> 
<laughs> we are here to make money. Do not trifle with us. Yeah, they're fundamentally different stances. Like, Taylor Swift is saying, like, I'm going to do things that I think are good and valuable, and some people won't like that. That's unfortunate. Twitter, the other hand, is going to say, we're doing things because we're us, and we're great, and we're smart, and we're good, and you're just going to have to suck it up, even if you don't like it, even if you're a reasonable human being. <laughs> There's not a particularly thick line between those two things. It's It's a matter of communication style essentially one of them sort of self-aware and ironically Mm self-deprecating one of them is not those things right (laughs) corporate america is many things but not self-aware or ironically self-deprecating usually unless you're oreo (laughs) but yeah i think you're correct is that the stance of being able to not take themselves so seriously is not something that has been adopted in wide uh, array of corporate cultures. And that helps if you're going to have to move people's expectations. I mean, as we've talked about before, business models matter, and Twitter's business model is ads. And so they have to run these kinds of experiments and try to figure out what works to get user engagement up and all of those things. I'm sympathetic to their plight, as yeah, I mean, someone who thinks about it from a business side of view. Yeah, and we've definitely talked about how businesses that can't pivot in episode 014, how businesses that can't pivot suck, mm-hmm. you know? And so we're not saying that Twitter shouldn't have been making any changes. Now, whether they should have made this particular change, debatable. <laughs> whether they should have uh, communicated better, definitely. But so we're not saying that the act of putting favorites into the Twitter stream is necessarily a bad thing. Like I said, like Chris said earlier, when retweets came out as an automatic thing, people were like, ah, ah, and now we just do it. And it's just a thing. And it's actually kind of nicer. So it's not that this particular feature is obviously a bug. It's that the way they're going about handling this in their press releases and in, you know, tweets it's just not the same sort of audience awareness, audience <laughs> expectation. They don't really know or they don't really care mm-hmm. what the expectations people have of Twitter are. Right. Which, again, saying Twitter's expectations of Twitter are all over the map is difficult, you know? And so they might respond and say, like, well, we're trying to deal with that by making this favoriting thing kind of a limited way to deal with that that everybody can self-select into their own interesting thing sure maybe but it's still not dealing with the fundamental difference between twitter and facebook which is something that they should be always and intimately aware of right well and i think what's going on really is they're looking at facebook and facebook is winning in terms of ads and revenue and all of that and this is a way of emulating that the sad thing about that is you know we talked again, a few weeks ago about the difference between algorithmically driven content with someone's software on the back end determining what you see versus you determining what you see. And this is one more step for Twitter away from my being able to determine what I see and toward the Facebook model of someone else determines what I see. And again, that that makes some sense from Twitter's standpoint, because if they can guarantee that people see things that are more interesting... They can get people to stick around, and that may be a positive for some users. 
but it's also right. really annoying to me. <laughs> yeah. And especially and because for me, Facebook is obviously an algorithm. I see Facebook mm -hmm. as nothing more than what Facebook wants me to see. There are plenty of people's Facebooks that I go to just to read what is on their Facebook because I know it doesn't get served to me in the algorithm for whatever reason. It's just the way things are. However, with Twitter, the only reason that I don't find things from people that I want to follow is because it didn't happen exactly when I was looking at Twitter. And I'm okay with that. That's a feature, not a bug. So there's there's kind of the creative producer business side of the expectations management thing. You have you have Taylor Swift who's making light of the fact that she knows that some people aren't going to like it. And she's kind of jocularly saying, well, you're just a hater if you don't like this. But when you take the the piece she put out in its, its context for her, it makes a lot of sense. And you can see that she doesn't actually think ill of the people who don't like it. She's just saying this, this is not for you. Don't hate on it. If you hate on it, you're, you're lame. But if you don't like it, that's cool. I'm going to be me. Twitter is yeah. doing the... You do what we say because this is us, as as you put it a minute ago. And yeah. so so you've got these two very different approaches. But then we also get to think about what do we as people who come with these expectations do? You know, if if I'm a guy who prefers country music, which I'm really not, Taylor Swift is the only, <laughs> quote, country, unquote, artist I've listened to regularly ever. And the more pop she's gotten, the happier I've been in some ways. He and country are never, ever getting back together. <laughs> we were never together to begin, but we would not get back together if we had been. Uh, that's so mean of me. I'm sorry, I Why couldn't you resist. Be so mean? <laughs> uh, you know, so, so I have these expectations of what a Taylor Swift album looks like, and if I were a big country fan, I would have a set of expectations. And as a Twitter user, I do have a set of expectations about what Twitter looks like and behaves like and how it will respond. And there are, there are kind of two, two ways in which I have expectations, and one of them is as the ordinary user of Twitter and what happens in my timeline. And then, of course, one of them is the nerdy guy who brainstorms how to talk about these things on a podcast like this mm -hmm. and and from the latter perspective this doesn't surprise me at all from or really even bother me i get it from a business perspective i don't like it but i get it from the former perspective it's a thing that makes me want to use twitter less and yeah. there's there's that sort of you know as a as a user do you have an expectation of things behaving continuing to behave the same way especially if that's a way that you like as everyone a, go to app.net right it now do it now pay keep the service alive <laughs> do it now go save it uh as a taylor swift listener do i at what to what extent do i as a listener have the right to my expectations being met there and we talked right. about this back in I think 0 0.04 with musicians taking a course correction mid-career or or even a course change rather than a correction, which is kind of what she's been doing. She's pivoting. She's saying, I did that country thing and I had fun with it, but now I want to go over here and do pop. What do I do with that as a consumer who likes or maybe historically liked but doesn't like now her music? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so there's something to be said in how artists and corporations are not the same. Right. We have different expectations for what an artist should be allowed to do versus what a corporation should be allowed to do because there's different levels of controlling our lives, right? Right. You know, if Taylor Swift is controlling however much of your listening life you want to, you know, control, 
whereas Twitter, for some people, is controlling the way that they get news, which is, you know, it's potentially a, deal. a much larger, yeah, much larger <laughs> deal. So, so there is some level where the expectations of Twitter are higher and harder to meet, you know, comparably, which is a good thing. Uh, if we had the same level of expectations for Taylor Swift as we did Twitter, <laughs> we would end up going on on uh, iTunes and writing one star reviews of albums that don't exist yet. So. It's a good, kind of a good thing that we don't have the same level of expectations for this giant corporation that's an information trafficker versus a, you know, artist who is also a giant music trafficker, which can be, <laughs> you know, reduced to information if you're Swedish, but whatever. Um, <laughs> what? I mean, information wants to be free, music wants to be free, copy me is, um, you know, whatever. But um, I'm not going there. I'm bitter. I think you did just go there, actually. I'm, whatever. I'm not going back there. We are never, ever never going getting back, back together. together. Yeah. <laughs> um, Our poor listeners. <laughs> yeah, you're going to have to get used to more jokes, apparently. We're feeling feeling jokish the last couple of weeks. Um, but yeah, so there's a good thing that we don't have the same level of expectations for a giant corporation as we do an artist, but that doesn't mean that the same responses are warranted which is right. we should be evaluating our uh our levels of expectation and seeing if they're appropriate and if they are which they may be you know twitter controls a large amount of how some people consume news uh, i'm not one of them i get my news in different ways uh th- then that's a big deal that twitter is starting to mess with how you get shown things taylor swift maybe not so much Right. I think it it speaks to the place that Twitter is taking culturally. And you can see this in some of the major events that have hit the the news in the last few years from Twitter alongside Facebook, but especially Twitter being one of the major drivers for the Arab Spring back in 2011, even to the way that it has shaped coverage of and response to events happening in Ferguson over the last 10, 11 days. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's reasonable to have higher expectations of something like Twitter, I think. I, I think yeah. you're absolutely right on that, than of a musician. And I also think, you know, to flip on its heads something from last week, corporations aren't people. Uh, yeah. now corporations are made up of people, and corporations are led by people, and corporations should respect that their users and customers are people. But, you know, what? what how I respond to Taylor Swift should be different in some sense, because she's a a person. And if I go hating on her, as it were, th- that's a very different thing from just looking at Twitter and saying, I, I dislike what this is as a product move. You know, those are, yeah. th- there's some analogy between them, but they're still very different things. And so I think the way we handle our expectations should shift accordingly. You know, if a major artist I like, whether it's Taylor Swift or, you know, if heaven forbid the collection whom we gushed about two weeks ago should come out with their next album and it'd be dreadful. Well, that would be really disappointing, but at some level I would just say, well, that's too bad and and move on. And in a way, right. that's what I do with Twitter. But as you just said, I think Twitter's import is so much greater that it does warrant pushing back a little harder on these kinds of things and saying, no, that's not the kind of service I want this to be. And yeah. there's a lot of room right now in the music world to say, I want to go listen to somebody else. It's a lot harder to say, I want to go somewhere else for something like Twitter. I mean, we've talked about, and you mentioned earlier, app.net, and I love app.net. 
I'm still there and I will be till they turn the lights off. But there isn't a sufficiently large network of people there at present for it to replicate the information gathering experience I can have on Twitter. You know, right. and that that's a big deal for things like the Arab Spring or Ferguson or whatever else you want to talk about. Right. And so I think it's important, again, that, you know, Twitter is trying to manage these expectations as a mm-hmm. corporation. Clearly, they're trying to stay afloat as a company and try to make money as a company because mm-hmm. it's the point. They're a company. But to that end, you know, making these sorts of changes is how they stay alive as a company and how they keep that service which they never asked to be, incidentally. They never <laughs> right. decided to be the social media of record, but they ended up being that. Right. They didn't really ask for that, and now they have somewhat of a social responsibility mm-hmm. for this to keep going, which is kind of weird. Like, we don't really have a news or a social media of record the same way that the New York Times is the newspaper of record other than Twitter. And right. so this is kind of a weird expectations thing for us too, is that it's hard for us, at least it's hard for me, to separate my feeling that, you know, Twitter is this important breaking news sort of place. Right. From this idea that it's also a company. Mm -hmm. And I think that happens a lot in the kind of new media world where basically these companies however they're deriving their revenue, their mode of operation is letting people say things. Mm -hmm. I mean, you just end up in a weird spot there as a company because you're sort of, on the one hand, acting as this empowerer of democratic voice, and on the other hand, you're still just trying to make money. Yeah, so it's Twitter, again, still my favorite useless product, and we'll probably (laughs) talk about it way more times on Winning Slowly because I love talking about Twitter. It's it's this really strange sort of thing that's laden with a lot of expectations that we don't think about very often, much differently than Facebook, because Facebook exposes how we view it all the time when they mm-hmm. make changes. Twitter has not made very many changes in its its technology right. U, UI. I mean, obviously, the, the API was a huge change and a big problem and all of that. But in its user experience... Other than changing like the headline banner thing, like right. the UI for Twitter has been largely the same for a long time in the internet era. A long time as counted in internet right. years, I suppose. Right. Internet years and, are like dog years. Yeah, there really are at this point. <laughs> um, so it's it's really kind of this weird interchange that we we don't think about our expectations of Twitter that often because it doesn't call attention to itself that often. And I think there are a lot of things that are like that, that don't mm-hmm. call attention to themselves as things that we have expectations for. As usual, our, our takeaway is twofold. One of them is for the, the people you know, making these kinds of moves that might run up against expectations. Consider the expectations of the people whom your changes will affect. They matter. And especially whether you're a musician or a big company, if you alienate too many of your fans, your users, you're going to have problems. Uh, you know, we've we've seen over the years that social media users are more fickle than they might seem. As entrenched as Twitter is today, a year from now, things could look a lot different if Twitter alienates too many of them. And, of course, bans 
fans and musician fans are notoriously fickle as well. You alienate the people who provide your support, you're going to have a problem. Uh, at the same yep. time, as users and listeners and fans and so on, we have a responsibility to recognize our expectations, recognize when they are or are not reasonable, and adjust accordingly. And we, you know, for services, we've said this often, we should be evaluating fairly constantly what we're getting from the service, what the costs are to us, both direct and hidden and so forth. And and then the same for even things like music. You know, what is what is the value I derive from this versus, you know, do I hate the direction this artist is going? Do I hate moral stances this artist is taking? All mm -hmm. of those things in a constant evaluation as they come up. Obviously, we cannot be constantly evaluating everything, but, yeah, be but being mindful as we go. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. Support your local music. As usual, our content is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution License. That means you can do whatever you want with it. Just say you got it from us. If you don't, we'll say you're mean and we're never, ever getting back together. <laughs> and sadly, we did not have a Taylor Swift song open the show. It was Betamax by Jacob Fred Jazz Odyssey off of their upcoming album Worker. Uh, Tulsa's finest. Oklahoma's, Oklahoma's proud of you. Um, and don't use their music without uh, without their permission. Until next time, I've been Chris Kreicho. And I am and will be Stephen Caradini. Thanks for listening. <laughs>